Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? That was enthusiastic. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We teach that to the smallest among us. I'm sure there are many little ones here who were lisping that along with us. What does it mean? We do this, don't we? We have these terms, we have these phrases, we have these sayings, and we get a little puffed up. My kids can quote the first ten questions of the catechism, right? My two-year-old can quote question number one. That's great. What does it mean? What does it mean to glorify God? It's a tough concept, isn't it? So to praise God? Yes, well, that doesn't get us all the way there, does it? To magnify and honor Him in worship? To ascribe honor in thoughts and words. That's part of it too, isn't it? To express our understanding of His otherworldliness. That He is so different from us. We as the created have a very tough time understanding the glory or the weight of our God. It is a concept nearly impossible for us to get our minds around. And yet, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it's our chief end. It is our primary purpose. It is of highest priority to us. Psalm 86 says, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. In Revelation chapter 4, we read this. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fell down before Him that sat on the throne and worshipped Him that lived forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and they were created. Glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. What does this look like? How do you do this? We've been looking at the one another's. We've been looking primarily at how we love one another and how we serve one another as we try to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. I argue that this is how we glorify God. In our passage today, Paul coming out of a fairly long argument around how we do that very thing, how we bear one another's burdens, how we bear the weak's infirmities, how we as the weak are to not be judgmental of the strong. He calls upon God. He calls out to the maker of heaven and earth. He calls out to the God of patience and consolation. Now he's just used this phrase back up in verse 4 where the translators say patience and comfort from the Scripture. What does he mean here? This God of patience, this God of consolation, this God of comfort, what do these words mean? Why does Paul say that we can gather this in from the Scriptures? And then he appeals to the author of those Scriptures as the source, as the God of patience and consolation. See, Paul understands what he is asking us to do. He understands the difficult task in front of us to to love each other. The idea of patience here is that we can persevere, that we can bear up under, that we can endure things and circumstances, and primarily in this use, people. This patience is a a state of mind where we are able to bear up under the evils against us, the infirmities of the weak, the burdens that we are asked to carry, the suffering, the tribulation, That we persevere with a tranquil, peaceful mind. In Romans 5, Paul tells us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, 
knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see how this works? Through faith, we are justified. We have peace with God. And we rejoice in hope. And we glory... We try to imitate God's glory here. We glory in tribulation. It's tall order. Because God's love has been given to us. It has been shed abundantly in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So much so that the love flows out of us. The next word here is consolation. It is the act of exhortation, the act of encouragement, act of comfort. So it is by this patience by this tranquil, peaceful mind, this overflowing love that has been given to us graciously, that we are able to interact with others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. Not some, not a few, but He comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted of God. This is just like the concept of love, right? God gives us His comfort. In His great mercy, He gives us His comfort in abundance so that it flows out of us to somebody else when they're in their time of trouble. Praise be to the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. We see God's character here. We, we see His nature. We see how He acts towards us, His children. And we are called, you and I, are called to the same nature, to the same character, to the same acts.
Paul keeps coming back to this. He continues to use these titles for God he, that, that explain his nature, and he wants us to he wants it to sink into us and understand that all of that is available to us. Praise the Lord. But it is not available to us. It is not given to us so that we can hoard it to ourselves. We're not to lay it up for our future use. Paul says, the God of patience and comfort. In verse 15, he says, the God of hope. In verse 33, he says, the God of peace. All in this chapter. And it's all throughout his writing. In Philippians 4, it says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen do. And the God of peace shall be with you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Patience and comfort and peace. This peace of mind that allows us to endure tribulations. It's more than that. It's patience and peace and comfort that allows us to minister to others while we are going through tribulations to meet them and their needs as they're going through tribulation. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be complete, be mature. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Comfort and peace and love. We have spoken of this love recently, this charity, this God-like love this love that gives, not seeking anything in return. We can't get away from this idea of love, it is everywhere. First John chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. It's His very essence. 
And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. We know these passages, right? It's kind of like glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We say them. And sometimes I wonder if we stop and think about, oh my goodness, what am I saying? What does this mean? John 15 says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Do we love like that? In John 17 it says, And I have declared unto them thy name, Jesus speaking here to the Father, and will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You catch that? Jesus prayed to the Father and asked Him that 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 love that the Father has for the Son, that love would be in you and would be in me. We'll come back to that passage in a bit. All of these things, patience and comfort and peace and love and joy and hope, they all come from the Father. The Lord God is the giver of all good gifts. Your heavenly Father, God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, He is steadfast. He grants these gifts to His children. Paul is not exhorting you here to pull these from yourself, to dig down deep and to find these qualities within you. He knows better. No, he is, he is rejoicing in our Father in heaven who gives them. He pours them out on us. He gives them to us abundantly. We as Christians, we understand that these things are always gifts of God. And that they're not the result of our effort or our achievement. See, Paul starts out this passage praying to his heavenly Father. He prays for the Roman Christians. Through the Spirit, he is praying for us. He's praying for you. He knows that the only way this is going to happen is through prayer. That you can't do this on your own. So as we've been going through these passages these last number of weeks, I ask you, have you been praying? Have you been asking the Lord to grant these graces to you so that you could love your neighbor 
like Jesus loves you. Have you been praying for the person who sits beside you? That God would be gracious to them so that they could have the patience to love you. See, in 1 John 5, we read this. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we already possess, we already have those petitions that we have asked of Him. Lord, give us faith to believe that promise. Paul prays to the God of all uh, patience and comfort that you and I would be like-minded. That's another tall order, huh? This idea of being like-minded... The, um, the picture here is, think of a body of people, kind of like us, that would all vote unanimously for something. That's what he's looking for here. All appeals to God. He cries out. He says, Lord, they're, they're going to need your help on this one. If they are going to be like-minded you're going to have to show up. Now this isn't a like-mindedness that is about conformity. Paul, the Spirit, is not asking you to give up on doctrines. Remember the whole The whole context of this was that there were people who were holding different opinions. Remember? Some would eat meat and some wouldn't. They were trying to serve the Lord to the best of their ability and they were acting uh, under their conscience that they believed God had had spoken to them in this matter. So we're not talking about a kind of like-mindedness that makes you, you know, dump your mind overboard. We've, we've been told that doctrine divides. And, and it's just, it's simply not true. Doctrines don't divide. Pride divides. I have some dear friends who I disagree with on some fairly major points of doctrine. And I know they love me. And I love them. As weak as it is. The, the brother I'm thinking of, he does, he does not hold to the doctrines of grace. And he is one of the most gracious men I know. And there's no question in my head that he is a believer, that Jesus has purchased this soul. 
Once upon a time, I didn't hold to the doctrines of grace. No gasping. And I'm here to tell you that at that time I loved God's Word. His Spirit had confirmed with my spirit that I was His child. I was a Christian. I was a believer. And I believe that that doctrine I held to was in error. And the funny thing about that is, I would, I would argue with people, and we would stop talking to each other. But it wasn't the doctrine. It was our pride. Because back when I was an Arminian, I was pretty prideful about it. I was puffed up. I knew my verses. I could argue it fairly well. And then the Lord got a hold of me and I embraced the doctrines of grace. And funny thing happened as I began to talk about the doctrines of grace and debate people, there was division that I caused. It wasn't the doctrine. It was my pride. See, we were being called to be like-minded. And Paul is praying for us because he knows we need it. And he says that we are be, to be like-minded according to Jesus Christ. We are to be like Jesus. In John 17, Jesus prays for us. He prays to the Father. And He says, Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to try to hit some of the highlights here. And He says, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, before creation, there was the Trinity, there was God, and there was glory. It's outside of time. It is outside of creation. This is why is it so hard for us to get our heads around. But Jesus says, Father, I pray for them. Lord, they are, they are mine. You've given them to me. And I am glorified in them. Oh, Father, keep them. Jesus knew our condition. 
Paul knew our condition. That's why he's praying for us, right? Keep them that they may be one as we are. That they might have my joy fulfilled in them. Keep them from evil. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That they might be sanctified through truth. That they all may be one. Picking up the theme? That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gives me, give me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may be, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me. And that the world may know that you have loved them. And that the world may know that the Father loves the Son. So surely asking God to make us one is according to His will. Asking the Lord to cause us to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, not pleasing ourselves, but laying down our lives for each other. Surely this is in accordance with His will. That's what Jesus prayed. So what if you and I are not experiencing this? What if we notice a decided lack of patience and willingness to comfort others? A lack of charity? A lack of hope? James 4 says, You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you've asked amiss. You've asked so that you may consume it upon your own lust. If we are not experiencing this, if you and I are struggling to be like-minded, if we are struggling to speak with one voice and one mind, if you and I are struggling to love one another in this way, maybe we have not asked. Maybe it's that simple. Maybe we lack... Because we've asked with wrong motives. 
We've asked according to our flesh. We've prayed for patience and comfort and grace and love and mercy and hope to put it on a shelf so we can use it later. There is another possibility. The other possibility is that the Lord is allowing these trials and tribulations, these discomforts, because it's for your good. Maybe He is preparing you so that in the future you may minister to others in this way. Oh Lord, please forgive me. Father, I pray that you will let me take up my cross, that you will let me die to self, and that you will let me lay down my life. Lord, let me lose my life for your sake and for the sake of your children. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, conform me more and more to the image of Your Son. Make me more like Jesus. Amen? To what end? To what end? See, verse 6 tells us that Paul is praying for us. He is beseeching the Father on our behalf so that we may with one mind and with one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to have the mind of Christ. He wants us to be fashioned a servant like our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be humbled like our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to become obedient unto death even the death of the cross. I don't know about you, but this is my desire. I see the early church operating with one mind and with one mouth. Their doctrines didn't all line up. You know this, right? Some of the really important doctrines that we hold to tenaciously, they didn't settle for several hundred years later. There's a story in the book of Acts. 
Peter and John have healed a man, like Jesus did. And the Sadducees called them before the rulers and the elders. And they say, by what power or by what name have you done this? And they responded that in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, they have done this. And this surprised the rulers and the elders. They could not deny the power. They were afraid of the source. So they tell Peter and John to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John tell them that they must speak of the things which they have seen and heard. It is noticed that as they have taught the people about Jesus through word and deed, that all men glorified God for the things that were done. Peter and John in this example, they are being like Jesus. They are healing and they are providing comfort and hope. And when asked, they point to Jesus, glorifying his name. But after this event, they are let go and they go back to the people, the disciples. And when they had told the story, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. And they praise God for the work in and through them. And it says in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, and they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I don't know about you, but I want to live like that. I long for this kind of power to be working among us. I long for great grace to fall upon us here. I long for the Holy Spirit to shake this place to the very foundations. I long for healing in our community. I long for victory over sin. I long for the lost to return home. 
I long to see my neighbors and your neighbors in these pews worshiping the Lord. I long to see all of my family and all of your family worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. The more I study this, the more I meditate on this, the more I pray, and you have to forgive me, I'm a weak prayer. the more convinced I become. Elder Morris and I have talked about this at length, and we have become more and more convinced that what Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church needs more than anything else right now is to pray. We need more prayer individually. We need more prayer corporately. I need to earnestly pray for you more. I need you to pray for me more. We need to pray for each other. This building, this building you are sitting in, needs to be shaken by our prayers. This building needs to be shaken by the Spirit. I'm going to be so bold. You can be angry with me if you want. But you need to be here on Sunday morning at 9.15. We pray for this service. We pray that God will show up. That the Spirit will be active among us. We pray that God, through this service, will change us and make us more like Jesus. And you need to be here praying with us and praying for us. Husbands, you want a better wife? Start praying. Wives, you want to change your husband? Start praying. Children, you need to be praying. We need to be praying here. We need to be praying in family worship. We need to get together throughout the week and pray one for another. Oh man, what would it be like if we did this? It would be glorious. God's not going to refuse those prayers. Those prayers are solidly within His will. You and I need to pray more. And in verse 7, it tells us this. Receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. 
Did you notice that when Paul started this discussion, there was two groups? And he was giving instructions for each group. But as we get closer to him closing off this conversation, he starts talking in the plural. And he's talking to all of us. We're all getting the same instruction. There, there are only two commands in this passage. Verse 1 through 7. There are two verbs that call us to action. The first one is that we are to please our neighbor. To satisfy him. To meet his needs. This is deliberate, continuous behavior. This is, this is behavior towards somebody that we have a relationship with. We are related, you know that, right? The goal of this pleasing, the goal of this relationship, the, the goal of this conduct is to make peace. And then here in verse 7, we get the other command that we are to receive one another like Jesus received us. This is a wholehearted acceptance to receive or to take to oneself, to admit into one's society or fellowship. To receive and treat with kindness. I like this one. To take by the hand and draw them in close. That's what it means to receive. That's what Jesus did. He took us by the hand and he drew us in. Some of us were kicking and screaming. You know that we, we live out our theology, right? We talk theology a lot. But the real theology that we believe comes out in our actions. See, if we have any unwillingness or reluctance to accept other believers, this shows a gross ingratitude towards those who have been accepted by Christ. It means we don't understand how we have been accepted. Write this down. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you lack a spirit of forgiveness, 
If you lack a a spirit of forgiveness towards others, this indicates that you don't understand your own forgiveness. You don't understand what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ looks like. This is at its core the sin of the Pharisees and the scribes. They displayed a complete lack of understanding of God's love towards them when they failed to understand the hopeless condition, their hopeless condition. Not the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes that Jesus was hanging out with. They understood their condition. They thought they were better than those sinners. They thought they were above those sinners. They thought they were sufficient without Jesus. They did not understand the glory of God. They did not understand what God was like. (laughs) They didn't understand Him at His very basic essence. They could not see the glory of God. I want you to take note that in this passage, we are to glorify God. We're supposed to do it individually too. But we as a group are to glorify God. God's glory is promoted when Christ received us as sinners. It is further promoted when we who are by nature sinners and Pharisees and wrapped up in our own concerns instead of receiving our brothers. God's glory is advanced. It is promoted when we accept others. When we comfort others. When we love others even when they don't deserve it. You and I profess to be followers of Jesus. Amen? Anybody awake out there? You and I are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. This is what Jesus did. And this glorified the Father. You and I are called to glorify God. And you and I can only do this when we live like Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. When you humble yourself and serve like Jesus... You glorify God. 
When you desire to be one with your brothers and sisters like Jesus is one with us and the Father, you glorify God. When, when you pray like Jesus, when you pray like Jesus asking for all these things, you glorify God. When you please and receive sinners like Jesus, you glorify God. When you love like Jesus, when you pour out your life, when you lay down your life for the brethren, you glorify God. What's the chief end of man? What's man's chief end? Second Thessalonians 1 says, when he, speaking of Jesus, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of His goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have come before your word this morning and we can see that in and of ourselves we come up way short to your standard. Lord, we pray right now in the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit that you would change us, that you would fill us with your love, that you would fill us with your comfort, that you would fill us with your patience, and that this is how we would treat others. Lord, let us love one another with a pure heart, fervently. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me now as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. <laughs>